is Ditch Diggers, episode 19, season 7. Brought to you by our sponsor, Scribophile. Ditch Diggers appear and ain't no wannabes here. With some not so nice advice for your writing career. To be clear, no punches will be pulled, but the punch may be spiked. How they like before they get on the mic. To my left, we got the mighty Mer Lafferty. And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me. And her co-host, Matt. Evan Wallace on the right, yes, she may be half as hype as she could take him in a fight. So settle in, folks, buckle in and boot up. Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up. It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting. Facebook will still be there when you're done writing. Ditch Diggers! Ditch Diggers! And we're coming to you live from the, um outskirts of the Ditch Diggers Manor, which is, uh, I'm going to call the Discord Bunker, because we are not streaming live on Twitch today in solidarity with the people who've been hate-rated and been dealing with lots more crap than they should have been, and Twitch should have been more on the ball. So Matt is with me, and we are on Discord with a number of people, so very glad to see you all. Yes, thanks everybody for uh, coming and hanging out for this. I know it's a little, little different, a little funky. But that's Mur and me, you know, we're a little different. <laughs> we're, a little, we're a little funky. I don't yes. know if we're funky. We're you funky. may not qualify as funky. Are we funky? I don't right, know. We'll no, you're not. I think after, you might still be funky. I'm like late 40s. So uh, I think I left funk. Yeah, I turn 40 next year. Yes. And number is time. It's all arbitrary. Yeah. None of it really means anything. It's, yeah. all, it's, all stuff, it's all stuff we made up. <laughs> now you're starting to sound like, what's his face? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Everything you have ritual in is pointless. Why enjoy life? I say, I'm going to take that as an insult. Right? Yeah, it was, it was an insult, actually. <laughs> it was okay. Well, uh, as long as we're on the same page. We as long are. as we've got equal footing. Good. Anyway, we have a quorum. I've missed you. Last week was, uh, it, it worked out because um, you couldn't make it, and I was, I had to be in the basement, which meant I could only stream to my phone, which cut off a lot of my other capabilities in the stream. So I don't think I would have been able to uh, have you on without a lot of stress anyway. So right. you were in disaster mode last week, right? I was, I was, I did get an idea to start doing a um, reading to my dogs in the basement stream. And <laughs> yeah, I, but the thing is, I think that would be so weird and pet focused. It would be like when John Scalzi taped bacon to his cat and that made him more, that gave him more online uh, attention than anything ever had since his, like, AOL blogging days. You just, like, take bacon to a cat right. and suddenly you're a celebrity. And I don't know if that would make me happy or sad that I've busted my ass to do podcasting and writing all these years, but reading to my dogs in the basement on camera, then again, I wouldn't cut, I wouldn't say no. I think it just depends on uh, what you're trying to accomplish and what you wrote you're trying to be you know if it's just hey i'm a content creator all content is welcome it's just uh, whatever people like that's what i'm doing then read yeah. your dogs or tape bacon to a cat's butt or whatever it is and go with it but it can be a little frustrating when you have a focus like you know i spent six months writing this 500 page novel and uh, it's the sum of my life's experience and wisdom and then Ten people buy that, and then you know you do the, you do the uh, the sneezing dog video or whatever, and it's you know, fifty million people like it, and it becomes the whole basis of a career. Mm-hmm. Like uh, whoever mm -hmm. owned the the grumpy cat thing. Yeah, I go back and forth on that. Honestly, like I, there's a part I can't I can't say there is an en an envious part of me, and I'll admit that there's envy in there. Like a resentful part of me that like looks at because I've thought about this, you know, because I follow a fair amount of bulldogs in particular. I like bulldogs. That's my that's my thing. So I follow a lot of bulldogs on Instagram, and uh, you know, a lot of these a lot of these bulldog accounts, huge huge money makers. Mm -hmm. You know, the dogs, and it's not the dog that is making the money; it's the humans who own the dog. The dog doesn't know what money is. That's right. why. I like dogs. They're pure. They don't know what money is. They just know that they love everyone unconditionally and they would like a treat please. So <laughs> I, I enjoy that about them. Yeah. But I just a, think, yeah. like, go ahead. No, go ahead. no we, we, we buy um, a lot of things for our dogs after Christmas because dogs don't know when Christmas is. 
and stuff goes on sale on like extreme sale right after Christmas. And so we can get like chewy toys. And actually I still have some because uh, I still have some, some treats, blue dog sleigh bell softies, which in September are not softy and dogs don't care about stale either. No, they really don't. They have no concept of any of these things. Nope. It's, yeah. Is it edible? The dogs yeah. think it is. It, it goes into the face hole and disappears. Yeah. Straight to the face. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Two dogs back here. Not a lot of room, but okay. They heard, they heard you talking about them and Tritos. And I like, think they hey, did. I think they did. Can we get did. it on this action? I'm yeah. going gonna, I'm gonna to do now a little. Yet, now, there's, now you have to get in Tritos. There's one dog, and the other one is right behind her, the one who's usually on stream. Uh, there he is. Nope. There's Numbers Ninja's hand, and the dog is I, underneath. I, there. I still, I still, I can't, I can't see the dogs. Again, you were just two orbiting dots in a tiny screen to me. I don't know why. I don't know why either. Um, can Perhaps other people see me? Can Can other people see me? Saying that I am watching the Discord channel on my phone. So, um, yes, everyone can see me except for you, dude. It's really weird. Yeah, weird. just again, two orbiting dots just locked in an eternal kind of flirtatious dance. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Maybe that's just the way I'm seeing everybody now. Maybe it's a perception thing. Anyway, so dogs are very pure. We established that. Yes. Um, my original point. My original point was <laughs> I follow these Instagram accounts, and right. sometimes I'm hit by just. Sometimes it strikes me the sheer amount of like, you know, money and how prosperous they are financially and business wise, and, and and I can't help having it occur to me that like that's just owning a dog and taking pictures of it, mm -hmm. and like. These people are making vastly more money than I ever will. And I'm of two minds on that. There's a part of me that deeply resents it. And then there's a part of it that's like, hey, man, life is very difficult. Any way you can find to alleviate yourself of uh, the daily grind and providing comfort in this world, like, I'm glad they found an avenue for it. You know, nothing's stopping yeah. me from going and getting, nothing's stopping me from going and getting an adorable bulldog and taking pictures of it and making that my career. I yeah. could do it if I wanted to. You could. You could. The, I, uh, I the, only choose, thing, yeah. the only thing is, I'm afraid that um, since we're not taught personal finance in school, a lot of these people are going to go, I have money now. I can spend it. And don't realize that, okay, it's tied to the health of your animal. So if your animal dies, then you don't have a backup option like you're, you don't, you, they're not writing on your fame, they're writing on the dog's fame, the dog's dead. So, what do you do? <laughs> did you put your money in the bank, or did you just buy, like, cashmere and uh, silk for the dog's bed? And the dog lies <laughs> on the floor anyway. And I, I love that, first of all, that got dark so quickly. I'm sorry. Like, that, went, that went south so hard on us. It's just like, I'm just like, I'm not sure how I feel about this dog thing. And then you swoop in with the, well, you know the dog's going to die, right? I Dead am dogs. just saying, if you no, if you suddenly make a lot of money based on one thing that is partly out of your control, yeah. you right, should be responsible right, right. with that money you make. Um, I would hope that they are. I can't, you know, I we, we have a hard enough time talking about the business of freelance writing. I don't know anything about the business of running a pet Instagram. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. But something, something working with children and animals, says Rambos. Diversify your portfolio. Get multiple pets. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, so, some people do. So I, I wanted... Go ahead, Mark. No, you go. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Well, I was going to do a slight change of subject. Yeah, that's fine. Let's okay. change the subject. This has so, nothing to do with what we're talking about. This, this has to do sort of with craft, but I think it has to do with marketing as well. So small... Small spoilers, I apologize. We watched the Steve Martin short Selena Gomez Hulu thing last night about um, the murders Murder in the hotel. Thing. Yeah. Right. It's really good. It's really funny. But they did two things, and the two things were very similar, and we all had very different emotional reactions to both things. It's going to be a little bit spoilery. I apologize. But uh, one of the plot points is a man in the hotel... His pet dies. When they're having right. this group group meeting to mourn the actual person who died, no one gives a shit about him. No, Everybody right. hated him. But then they see this guy over here crying, and he's like, Evelyn died. And then everybody in the room starts freaking out. Very upset. Very sad. 
later on, we're in this guy's apartment because they decide that he's one of the suspects. And he faints at the sight of blood. Steve Martin runs over to the freezer. You can probably tell what's coming next, Matt. Uh, mm. He opens the freezer to get some ice for his for the guy's head, and the cat falls out of the freezer. He put his right. dead cat in the freezer. The cat is frozen. A leg actually breaks off. It's, oh, it's, wow. it's like dark comedy camp. We were all yelling, some of us laughing, some of us just yelling. Um, it was a very loud moment last night. And uh, then, later on in the episode, uh, Martin Short has a bulldog. And it's like end of the episode, so we're not really sure what happened. But his door is open, the bulldog is lying on the floor whining, and there's like powder around a bone. So it's implied the dog's been uh, poisoned. The dog is alive. But okay. it implies the dog's been poisoned, and we're all just like, that's not funny. That's too far. Like, you're trying to make, I know you're trying to make a dark comedy here, but once you actually injure an animal, and, and Jim and I talked about it, and we realized that uh, our theory was the cat was like a cat in, uh, it was Schrodinger's cat in the fact that we'd never seen it. We'd only ever heard it talked about after it was dead. There's even a picture of a cat above the guy's mantelpiece, but that's another cat. That's not the cat that he's mourning. We've never seen the cat alive. And so going from nothing to dead cat is funny. We've seen Martin Short's adorable bulldog. (laughs) He, like, there's there's a fire alarm early on, and he puts the dog in a special, like, little dog carriage like yes he puts the dog in the dog carriage and he wheels the dog away and uh yeah so we in seeing the dog that we've seen alive we've seen it's adorable when the dog gets injured or some poisoned or whatever that's like that's more personal to us i guess also i just want the title of your next writing instructional book book to be going from zero to dead cat is funny i just think that's (laughs) a really good title and then you have to defend that premise. Um, I'm gonna I put know. that on Twitter right now. You go ahead. Yeah, that's fair. No, I just, I mean, there's, there's validity in all the arguments you just made. I feel like, honestly, a lot of these emotional reactions are really arbitrary and personal. I don't know if there, I don't know if there's a universal thing about it. I think there are people like me who find cats way less sympathetic than dogs. Like, I'm not a cat. I'm not a cat person. Uh, I -hmm. think they, I think they want to murder me, but I know plenty of people who find that position on cats really objectionable and love their cats and find them adorable and lovable and affectionate, sympathetic creatures who I'm sure would be, you know, Shauna McGuire comes to mind immediately because she's always tweeting about her cats Mm -hmm. who, who would find the frozen cat just abhorrent no matter whether they had met the cat previously or not. So I would I would put forth that you know I don't want to like tell you who you are identity wise and your relationship to animals but maybe you, you and Jim are just more dog people than cat people. You that know? that is a fact. We are more dog people than cat people. Yeah. Plus, partly because of allergies. If we didn't have allergies, we'd probably have a cat. But uh, probably. But I think that has a lot to do with your perspective on where the line was and what was funny and what wasn't. Uh, and then you know you throw in the fact that like. We all seem to be, I don't you know, not everyone in the world, but everyone in my sphere seems to be in a place where, like, we're pretty much uh, desensitized and accustomed to human horror, because we have to be, yeah. I think, to a certain extent, just to deal with life. So we've kind of reached this point where we don't react to that. Again, like, everybody, that, that was the joke you were describing in the show. It was like, nobody cared about the dead guy, because yeah, fuck they him. Yeah, but, like, But the dog or the cat or whatever, they were like, they freaked out over. That's where we're all at. We're like... For the love of God, don't hurt a don't hurt a pet in a story or a piece of fiction ever. Like I don't mm-hmm. care how many people you kill brutally, like kill as many people as you want, but don't hurt the dog. Like that's where everybody I know seems to be at emotionally and mentally. I think I think yeah, I think I that like says that. something more universal. Yeah, personally. that's true. Yeah. I was like that before the pandemic, though. I remember um, I was reading like the first chapter of one of the Dexter novels had. Right him like going into a building and hearing a sound like an injured dog and I'm getting this all of this this anxiety in my chest that someone has uh maimed a dog on purpose a monster and then 
you find out it is a human, what's been done to them is absolutely horrific. Right. And I'm feeling relief because it's not a dog. No, yeah, no. I don't think it's unique just to the pandemic years that we're in. I think that's, I think it's, when, you know, when I say recent, I mean, like, just within the last decade or whatever. Because sure. the world was horrible before the pandemic started. The pandemic was. was just it was. really toxic icing on toxic cake. So I think yeah. we were already there. I think, if anything, the pandemic just intensified it. Intensified it a that's bit. true. Um, Y'all, I can see you've, several of you have started thoughts and not gone through with them i really am eager to hear what you guys think and if you guys think i'm a monster for laughing at the dead cat falling out of the freezer that's okay but uh, i am watching the ditch diggers channel so if y'all want to contribute to this what is funny about the dead pets um, or not uh, i would really love it if some of you finish your thoughts i'm not gonna call anybody out because you might have just hit a button and then decided not to finish it but uh, i do want to say that i am listening you know, we are watching slash listening and are interested in your thoughts. Yeah, also, if you want to offer anything else well, that's not dead cat related, that's fine. You want to ask want questions? Solidarity people in chat calling mom a monster. <laughs> people are not yet calling me a monster. I wasn't going to say that you're the one who screamed. But yes, Numbers Ninja was the one who screamed when the dead cat fell out of the thing. In, in like, outrage and disbelief while I was yelling and uh-huh. it was funnier to me but uh numbers ninja is not as jaded as humor numbers ninja has not had their soul yes. crushed by the world yet so yes. are you listening you know. to matt at all i can't okay so uh yeah he, he says you're pure you're more pure than i am you haven't had your soul crushed by the world but uh numbers ninja did have a bad day yesterday so i think that the mood you went into watching that was slightly colored anyway but uh okay we got, we got uh primalina i love cats but that still sounds funny uh, Natasha says, so true about me being more bothered by animals getting injured than people, and Jay Rambos can call Murrow a monster anytime. I mean, Miss you, you did too, put dude. the idea. You did put the idea out there yourself. Mark. I did. So I did. Like I did. So it, that, that's just been on my mind of, um, and I know it's like there are agents that have very specific preferences, and I, I'm pretty sure Stacia Decker, if you injure a dog or kill a dog she doesn't want to represent that book she loves dogs so much that that she can't like endorse this dog murder book i yeah no well stacia has amazing dogs i follow stacia on twitter just to see pictures of her dogs exactly so i get that she's yeah big big dog fan it's you know i don't think there's <clears throat> Actually, I was going to say I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Right. I think the wrong answer is I do think the wrong answer is not caring if a dog is injured. I do think that's going to make yes, sense. Yes, yes, I agree. But, that, that that is the wrong answer. Yeah. Um, right. Shauna uh, says cat falling out is funny. Leg falling off is too far. Okay. That's, I don't know. I don't know. See, I don't. I don't know about that because I was just thinking about the whole. I was thinking about the frozen gag thing. Mm-hmm. I I do think. And you, I guess you kind of hit on it before of not seeing. Actually, I don't know if it's, if it's even about seeing the cat alive before. Once you introduce a frozen cat prop, I think there is a disconnect that happens with a lot of people where, even if they're they're going with the story, you know, they're suspending disbelief as one does when one watches fiction. I think there's something in your head that goes, "That's not a real cat. That's ah. a frozen cat prop." Frozen cat so, prop is not a real cat in your like yeah, emotional brain. In your yeah, you don't, you don't, you no longer have an emotional attachment to it because you know for a fact that is not a real cat. That is a frozen cat prop. So, and breaking the leg off a frozen cat prop can be funny because again, it's not a real cat. Whereas if it was a real cat getting their leg broken, even though again, you you know that that even if it's a real cat on screen, they're not actually having their leg broken. You don't have the same emotional disassociation you have with frozen cat prop. Right. Yeah. And so I will really, say that if you really, have a, yeah. yeah, if you have a live cat who's injured, then then my heart breaks. I'm not that much of a monster. Yeah. Under Pope just got here and wants to know about dead cats falling from the sky. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Hulu murder mystery with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez. It had uh, two incidents last. We watched the first three episodes last night. It has two incidents of animal. Worry, I suppose you could say, where a cat we had not met before dies, and the first time we see it is when it falls out of a freezer and one of its legs breaks off. Um, 
the dog we've met while it's alive and cute as hell and the the episode ends with the dog we're assuming she's poisoned um you know she's lying on the floor there's powder around her she's whining and groaning and it's it's like i thought that this being a dark comedy that's too far but yeah i, I just I agree and that. i was trying to figure out mentally why i didn't care so much about the cat and i did about the dog and my theory is we never saw the cat alive uh, Jason I, Rambo says I'm yeah. a monster. And Matt? And then I brought up the alternatives that it depends on whether you're a cat person or a dog person. And then we also started talking about the fact that it was a frozen cat prop and not an actual animal yeah. that you were watching experience <clears throat> discomfort on screen. Right. Which I think just kind of it elaborates on your theory more. So I think it's all interconnected. Yeah, I don't want to see the bulldog in distress either. That's yeah. that's too much for me because I love bulldogs. Yes. Yeah. So. And I mean, I think this is a valid conversation to have because it's not just an intellectual exercise. Because as you said, like you were talking about how Agent Stacia Decker doesn't want to represent your animal murder book if something bad happens to a dog in it. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of it's one of those really dicey uh, choices nowadays that you actually have to consider when you're taking a work of fiction out there. You know, especially yeah. I think in sci-fi fantasy because I'm not saying we're a more sensitive crowd, but we're a more sensitive crowd. We, we just tend to be. Yeah, to we things. do. Um, um, see. We got yeah. Jess saying, uh, maybe there's maybe there's something more visceral about hurt animals because they, by definition, can't understand what's going on. They're dependent on humans to protect them. And I'll add to that, Jess, and say, you know, you're pretty sure any human you meet has probably done something terrible to somebody some point in their lives. So they're already stained. Yeah. Oh. And I mean, there's a, there's a tasteful way you can do it. I was just thinking about, like, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the Guy Ritchie version, you know, because they have Gladstone, the bulldog in that. And like, there's one point where Robert Downey Jr. gets the dog high and the dog passes out. Mm-hmm. And like, I found that very cute and funny. I didn't find it traumatic because right. of the way they executed it. The dog wasn't in distress. The dog was just knocked, was just knocked out. So it was, it was cute because it was a sleeping dog. So I think there's a, there's a line of taste and execution that, that matters there when you're dealing with animals in distress. I think there can actually be a cute level of it, but then there's a line across which you take people to a place where they don't want to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting because it just wasn't always, it wasn't always that way. I don't know if people weren't always that way, but just media and the people who were in charge of it weren't always that way because we used to just kill dogs all the time yeah. in, like, movies. I found I found that out introducing movies to Nikki, my wife, because she hasn't seen a lot of the movies I've seen from like the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. So there there have been several unpleasant incidents where I forgot that the dog died, and it was very traumatic for her. Whereas in the con, that's the thing; it was like so commonplace back then, and I wasn't as sensitive to it back then that I didn't even remember it. You know, so yeah. I've changed over the course of that too. That's just very interesting to me. It's like we were watching the first Rambo movie, and they sent dogs after him. And she's like, he doesn't hurt the dogs. And I, I literally told her, no, he's Rambo. He's a hero. He wouldn't hurt a dog. <laughs> he, he totally kills the dogs. He does it off screen. You don't see it. But the implication is clear. He, he killed those dogs. Oh, God. So yeah. I'm left to sit there going, oh, wow. What's, what was wrong with me back then that I didn't, I didn't emotionally connect to Rambo killing the dogs? Yeah. So... Yeah. Cultural shifts, cultural shifts, media shifts, you know, True. those are all things we get to, we have to be aware of. True. Um I am breaking into our discussion here because I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor Scribifile. A lot of people ask me if uh, I know a way they can start a writers group or join a writers group or what to look for in a writers group or beta readers or whatever. And I work alone a lot, so I don't really have an answer for that. But then I found out about Scribifile, and it's exactly where people want to be. It's, uh, you can upload your stuff, you can get detailed critiques from other people, you can find beta readers, you can help other people out by giving them critiques. Um, it's been endorsed by Writer's Digest and NaNoWriMo and, uh, what else do I recognize? Predators and editors, and has made several lists of uh, 100 best websites for writers. There is a free membership and a paid membership, and uh, I recommend you check it out. 
because it looks pretty sweet, even on the free level. But thank you for your uh, sponsorship for Scribophile, and if you guys want to check them out, check out scribophile.com, and I'll have that in the show notes. So anyway, th- thanks for letting me go on th- this early tangent, but it has been on my mind because, you know, when you put an innocent, and we'll think ch- small children um, and animals in your story, when you do something to that innocent, you're making a very conscious decision that you should make sure you're absolutely sure you want to do. And, of course, children and uh, animals die in stories every day and real life, unfortunately. But uh, it's... You are going to get a bigger emotional reaction than usually if you harm an adult human. So... You are, um, you're gonna alien you're gonna alienate a lot of people too. That's really yes. that's really what you have to consider. It's just interesting. It's one of those very definite lines where you actually have to ask yourself, do I wanna go there? You know, and you yeah. have to ask yourself in terms of craft, uh, you know, and I usually don't like to talk about craft on the show, I know. but that's a, that's okay, but get this this crosses into the other side of things. From a craft perspective of my audience is gonna have an emotional reaction to this narrative, they may disconnect from the story I'm telling. But you do also have to look at that particular choice from a commercial standpoint of, if I'm taking this out to try to sell, this may very well limit who wants to be involved with it. Yeah. You know, that's another thing you have to consider these days because it's, it's such an issue. So it's one of those interesting things that crosses both of those both of those parallels of the creative and the and the commercial, which is yeah. why I don't have a problem talking about it on Ditch Diggers because business uh, primalina has a good point there is a website where you can look up if a dog dies in a movie and i believe they've expanded to a lot of other stuff um so yeah, it, yeah i no. think it's called does the dog die correct yeah. am, I, am i right I, there I, I think so yeah yeah so we can get off the topic of pets but uh it was something in my mind because it was weird having bad things happen to two different animals last night in the same show and my emotional reaction was very different for both of them but, um, no, it is very interesting. Yeah. Are the Does the Dog Die people associated with the website where you can find out if you can pet the dog in a video game? Or is that different? Oh, I didn't know if that was a thing. Oh, yeah, there's a website you can go to to find out if you can pet the dog in a video game, which is a much happier website. That is awesome. You know, you can pet way. the dog in Hades, but only one of its heads. The other two don't like it. And I, I dig that. I think yeah. there's there's a very important lesson about consent and individuality in there, so... I'm all about that. Exactly. I haven't played Hades. Haven't Hades played is Hades. amazing. I've heard that. I resent it a little, honestly, just viscerally. I kind of resent like, it too, and I'm not even a game designer. It's no, nah, it's pure. It's pure spite. It's pure petty. Because like yeah. I had, I wrote, I wrote on a game that came out around the same time, and ah, yeah. Hades is like got way more hype. So I just, re- just, uh, just you know, on principle, yeah. I, I, I hate it. So. You should, you should talk to, talk to Jim sometime about that. Um. Yeah, Hades is is amazing writing, and every time I've had a moment where, wait a minute, there's a plot hole they just glazed over. It's like, oh no, no, they eventually address that too. It's it's interesting. Um, because no, the game that. is meant to be played many many times, right. and so if you beat the game one time, you are not even halfway done with the story. So, and that's uh, that's a that's a very difficult thing to be able to do well. And mm-hmm. I know I've heard it's I've heard it's a brilliant game. Again, my my resentment is based purely on pettiness and spite. So I'm yes. not saying anything about the quality of the game. Yes, and I'm just I'm just happy we're at a place with video games where writing is really finally starting to be like recognized. Oh yeah, and prized with everything. It's a nice. It was a nice kind of time to enter uh, the industry for me as a writer because it was not always that case with uh, with writing. So yes. I'm very happy about that. <clears throat> and I recommend the medium. I know it's I know it's tough, but if you can find a good team and a good company, it's a very it's a very cool thing to do. I've yeah. been enjoying my time. That's great. I'm really glad to hear and that, it, man. I don't um, know. It's very. I'm lucky to do what I do with the people I do it with, and I try to I try to keep that in mind because you know I've been feeling very negative about a lot of things. Yeah. Career wise lately, so I'm trying to like keep the positive in the forefront. Yeah. Good. Um, so we did actually talk yesterday about. 
uh, plot, and I really took us off the rails with the cat-dog thing, but uh, do you want to go into what we plan on talking about? I did not get a chance to talk to Gail Carriger, so we're going to need to put that aside. Gail Carriger was listening to an older episode of Ditch Diggers and asked to come on to talk about something, so uh, we, of course, always have room for the godmother of Ditch Diggers. Uh, so it's room for Gail. Uh, yeah. No, I feel like we've gotten so far off topic for so long that we I, I don't think we'll be able to give it its due time today. Oh, man, uh, I ruined it. I'm sorry. It's all right. We've got another 15 minutes before we're going to have to cut this thing uh, loose, and I gotta, and I have to go back to my fancy video game writing job. Right. So <laughs> uh, maybe well, if we want to do some Q&A or just, you know, freestyle a little bit with well, our with our people here. That's great. We got we already got a question from Jess. Uh how would a mostly unpublished writer get into video game writing? Uh that's a very good question and very valid. Uh really strong writing samples. If you don't know anybody, I mean, know someone in the industry is always the best thing you could possibly do. But seriously, no, that I I would start with those two things. It's like uh, try networking with people in the industry. Try following people in the industry on social media, getting to know people, and then also just have really strong writing samples that you can present uh, to companies and to people when opportunities present themselves. And never be afraid to apply to positions, even if you don't have the experience listed in the position. That's a thing that turns a lot of uh, incoming and new writers off. And don't let it be an obstacle, because I know plenty of people who applied for jobs that they technically weren't qualified for, who either ended up getting those positions or they ended up getting other positions at the company just based off uh, the company liking the writing samples that they submitted. So never be intimidated by a job listing. Go for it anyway and have really strong writing samples to show what you can do. Right. It's really the best thing, the best thing, the best advice I can give anyone for, for breaking in, short of knowing someone in the industry or being able to network and uh, and get in that way. Yeah. Um, one other way is, is, is it, it starts out unpopular, and Matt may vociferously disagree with me, but this is one of the places where, um, I guess it's technically working for free, may help you because if a game if a designer finds you have done fan work about their game or uh if you like for rpgs it was always if you want to start writing for an rpg run that game at a con and you know have a great be a great game master and build a great adventure and that will get their attention um you know we did we talked to natalie metzger three, four years ago at the castle? Jesus, I can't remember. Whatever uh, it was. Yeah. Anyway, be, because she has built her career on sending fan art to John Scalzi. Like, she, she drew pictures of John Scalzi and, you know, he saw it on Twitter and thought they were great. A couple of years later, she was uh, illustrating his books. A couple of years later, she did one with Chuck Wendig. So, you know, that is the, that, that's not the working for free in the sense of you make something that other people profit off of, but this is a, you create a fan created work that you really believe in that might get the attention of the people who make it. Yeah. I mean, I would, I don't vociferously disagree with that. Okay. That was, that was the word you use. I would say I wouldn't use that uh, solely as a strategy. Like, if you are moved to do something like that, if it's something you enjoy and something you want to do, uh, then by all means, like, do it and put it out there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with with using it as an example of, hey, this is a thing I can do and I'm very passionate about. But I wouldn't do it solely to try to get a job uh, on something. You know, I'd make sure that it's something you're doing as an act of personal fulfillment. When it comes to, like, fanfic or, or fan creation or anything like that, I think that's the place it should uh, come from. And also, yes. you have to realize... The, the odds are very slim of you setting out to to create this fan work to get into the actual thing and actually accomplishing it. You know, I mean, Natalie is a, is a great is a great example. That Natalie is also uh, incredibly talented, just flat yes. out. Of course, so. that, it might also be that it's easier to get the attention of a creator with fan art than written stuff because that can open them up legally. Um, I've talked about that on yeah. I Should Be Writing, where if you That's make not... fanfic, you shouldn't send it. So I know that sounds like differing things. I'm just going off of what I remember from uh, writing in RPGs. And this, 
I feel very old. The fact that this advice is over 20 years old. But when I worked with computer <laughs> games, we always said that if you want to get uh, in t- into creating for a game, then uh, show that you can build levels. And of course, this just, you know, depends on if the game, the company you want actually has playable levels. I mean, this would not work for, say, Skyrim. But uh, with with the games we were creating, it was like, show us you can build a good level, and then we'll consider uh, you if you don't have technical, if, if you don't specifically have experience. So there are ways to sort of edge your way right. in there. Well, I, I mean, that goes, yeah. that goes back to having really strong samples, though, which I think is just, that's really the best best thing you can do with whatever job you're trying to get. Yeah. You just have to be, you just have to be able to demonstrate your value and your ability, you know? Mm-hmm. So however you can, however you can best do that, make the best thing that you can and then have it ready to show people and be willing to go and show it to the people. And, you know, again, shoot, shooting your shot is really the important thing there, I think. Yeah. And, you know, you can always apply again because if you're, it, like if you're not right, Maybe they don't want you so green for the position. You can apply again the next time a position's open. They'll start to recognize you. And it, it, yeah. it, in the worst, you know, they might see you. They should not see you as annoying. They can see you as persistent and somebody who really wants to work for them. And um, no, it's not, yeah. as long as you're keeping as long as you're keeping it in the appropriate context, there's nothing annoying about it. Like, you know, you can't email a developer every day pestering yeah. them for an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. But Always, you know, if they open up and and they put a listing out there, then yeah, apply every time it's open. You know, always and always keep uh, growing your own your own portfolio and repertoire too. You know, that's another thing you can do. If you apply for a gig with whatever samples you have and you don't get it, keep developing those samples. Keep trying to get uh, other work in related fields. You know, like I didn't have video game writing experience when I got my first video game writing job, but I had done all of the other things I had done. I had written books mm-hmm. and I had written screenplays and I had experience in other fields. And all of that uh, uh, adds to, you know, your gestalt and, and your appeal and your portfolio. So in between applying to those things, keep developing the strongest samples you have and keep developing uh, your portfolio and all that can help you too. So... Uh, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta bang on the doors, man. You can't be afraid to bang on the doors. That's exactly. That's, that's really it. It's a self-reject thing. I was, uh, yeah. I was at a con one time talking to Elizabeth Bear, who had just done a written uh, zombies run adventure, and I'm like, oh mm-hmm. man, you are so lucky. I would love to do that. She's like, do you want me to introduce you to? Uh... Oh crap, now Naomi. You want me to introduce you to Naomi's the designer of Zion, uh, Naomi Alderman, who also is a personal friend of Barack Obama because he blur- he uh, put her book on his su- summer reading <laughs> list. And so I know they're all Maybe best friends now. Dropping uh, all the names in this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I was very excited and very jealous when I saw that uh, Barack Obama had put Naomi Alderman's book on his summer reading list. But right. anyway, uh, she is the creator and Elizabeth's just like, I'll introduce you to her. Let's let's go talk. And I was a huge fan of Zombies Run. I had done a an audio drama for my again. This is free stuff I made for myself just to see if I could do an audio drama back in two thousand seven. And um, I didn't have any other script writing skills, but in talking to them, they gave me one special standalone adventure. And uh, then from there, Alistair Stewart and I sold them a sci-fi adventure that has nothing to do with Zombies Run. And then my fantasy adventure, Solo Written, just came out uh, this week, or last week, and I'm very excited about it. Actually, episode two dropped today. And oh, that, awesome. is, that is a, a dark fantasy story that I have wanted to write for years and years and years. And finally, someone bought it, and it was a fitness app. And it was still a lot of fun to write that script and uh, just kind of surround the narrative with running. It's like that's the plot is to go from here to there. And right. so I could put everything, all my plot points need to go with people going from here to there. So, um, And congratulations on all that. Buddy. Oh, thank you. Cool. But yeah, I didn't Very have cool. a lot of experience. I was a huge fan of Zombies Run. I yeah. got introduced to uh, Naomi and... You know, work it it worked out. So I yeah, yeah. 
And again, you showed him a thing that you had made just to make a thing mm-hmm. for you. And that that helped you that helped kind of prove your concept right there. So everything everything you do is is useful career wise and professionally. As right. long as you know you you really put you really put yourself and uh, and uh, give it the business, you know. Yeah, like, Rambo's really Rambo says, uh, "Don't be afraid to sell the skills you have. Maybe you've never done video game writing, but you can talk about all the things you have done and how they apply to the video game writing and what you and what you know about how that works." And Underpope says, "I've read that women are more apt not to apply for jobs for which they don't have all the experience, all the qualifications, while men are more apt to apply for them." So that is a very absolutely true, very true so, thing, and I hate it. So but. so many so many dudes in leadership roles in this and every industry that are only there because no one ever taught them uh, to self reject. You know, they taught yep. them to be anti- They taught them that you deserve everything that you want just because you want it. Like I have ran into so many dudes like that. I'm like. You only have your job because of a sense of entitlement. That's mm-hmm. the only reason you have your job. And we need, uh, we definitely need more people who don't look like me uh, having that kind of confidence and going for it. And it's not an easy thing to do because you're hardwired to feel like you're not welcome yeah. and you shouldn't feel entitled. But yeah, so that's, that's honestly just, just to circle back, that's the best advice I can give anyone. Well, always go always go for it. Whatever yeah. the job listing says, whatever the qualifications say, always go for it and shoot your best shot with it. You know, when I was uh, starting streaming, I decided, uh, I heard that Elgato was looking for streamers to uh, sponsor. And I thought, well, I haven't been doing this very long and I don't have a huge audience, but fuck it. Why not? And they shot me down. But again, it's like rejection. I realized that I said, I'm a small streamer, but I'm a larger podcaster. And if I can bring my audience over, I, you know, this could be something awesome. And with your help, it would be even more awesomer, except I had better language than that. And they turned me down, but it's like, oh, that's all that happened? Okay, well, that didn't kill me. So I might as well just try again next time there's a sponsorship opportunity. Why the hell not? You know, all they can all they can do is say no. Now yeah. they can be really harsh saying no sometimes, and I know plenty of people again who don't look like me who have dealt with much harsher rejection that I've that I've dealt with, and that can be a lot more uh, traumatic than I think we give it credence for. But that's that's exactly and, what Primalina just said. <laughs> sometimes yeah, women don't yeah. apply because of past experience being rejected. Oh, yeah. Dudes have not dealt with that type of rejection, so it's easier to go for it. No, that's abs- absolutely the truth, and you know, because I used to, I used to be very cavalier about that, and I used to tell people all they can do is say no. But then I started to talk to women in the industries I work, and I realized, no, man, they can be, they can be really shitty when they say no mm-hmm. uh, to people who don't look like them, and yeah, you got to give credence for that. But I do think you have to remember at the end of the day that a rejection is is still just that; it's just a rejection, however much they sucked about giving it to you, and that not every every company and every person is going to be like that. I know it makes it really really hard but just you know if you cannot be deterred please don't be deterred because we need we need the perspectives man we need more again more people who don't look like me coming in and helping us out making these things better so keep going with that excellent yes do we have any more questions because we're gonna have to wrap up here pretty soon no i don't think we have any more um or if anybody else would like to ask another question yes yes uh no people are Agreeing pretty much with what we're saying. Jess is off. Thank you for dropping by, Jess. Oh, Jess is really gone. Okay. So, uh, thank you. It was good to see you. And thank Is that you what that noise was? Question. Maybe. I'm not sure. I just saw all the pictures shift because one person left. Um, I don't I don't use Discord a lot, so I keep hearing things. I keep hearing sounds that I don't know what they mean. Yeah, I don't so use it um, for this. So, this is why it's a little weird, but... Uh, it looks like we're both being recorded. No mics are muted. And uh, it's nice that we've had a place. I do want to say again, um, we're doing it here because of taking a day off of Twitch because there have been some major new hate raiders who, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, they take their audience, which is usually hateful people like them, and they go to usually a black or queer streamer's uh, stream and they rating is supposed to be good because it's like I think my audience will like what you're doing and I'm not streaming anymore so I'm going to bring my audience over to you and maybe they'll like what you do and you can have a bigger audience it's it's supposed to be a beneficial thing for you and the other streamer and your audience but some people just do it like throwing a whole bunch of people at your party who are going to ruin it 
and this is happening more and more and they're getting really really constructed getting really creative with um making terrible racial slurs and stuff out of the letters that, you know, just almost like ASCII art kind of thing, trying to say the right. N-word with ASCII art because you know I've got the N-word blanked, you know, boycotted on my channel. Not boycotted. Forbidden. Anyway. Forbidden, yeah. Um, so Twitch is not doing a lot because you can just make so many uh, accounts on Twitch and it's super easy. So basically they do something, they get banned, they make another one. And it's getting really, really bad. People's, uh, the, their chats filling up with just this hate. And so Twitch is not doing much about it. And so we're staying off of Twitch today, September 1st, in order to just show solidarity with the uh, people who've been dealing with this. I have gotten like a couple of follows by these people, but they really haven't done anything in my chat Um so I've been very lucky, and I'm pretty sure it's because I'm white and straight uh, that that it hasn't been any worse. But anyway, I just wanted to raise everybody's attention to that. If you can stay off of Twitch today, um, it would it would make a tiny statement to Twitch that they didn't get views on the day where everyone said, stay away, let's see if they'll notice us now. So, um, And also, if you're a streamer and you think you might be targeted... When you're offline, put your chat in emote only, because apparently people are also hate rating when someone's offline, taking a picture of their chat and reporting them for racism. So it's oh, it's man. getting really nasty. Anyway, so that's my that's my uh uh the more you know. Yeah, so yeah, so join us in Solidarity Day, stay on Twitch, and then after today, do support uh, your marginalized uh, Twitch creators. Yeah, there are some Isn't amazing right? people out there. Doing great, great stuff. I mean, I, it was like, yeah, it was almost all Team Cipher that got me into Twitch because I just started trying to learn what I could from them, and and I hate that they're being treated like this. So, anyway, you need to go to work. So let's plug our stuff and then um, sign off. Absolutely, and it's been a pleasure, Mer, returning to the Discord to do this. Yes, even though all you saw was the the two dots, so you'll be able to see me next week. Yeah, there's something hauntingly beautiful about the orbiting dots, and I'm going to miss them <laughs> when they're gone. After this hour, I feel like I've really, they've taught me a lot. They've taught me a lot with their little dance, and taught me a lot about relationships and dynamics, and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> Just pluck your shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, I have I have books. Mm -hmm. They're out there. The thing I want to focus on right now is I have a new middle grade novel for kids uh, 8 to 12 years old coming out January, uh, the end of January of next year. It's called The Supervillain's Guide to Being a Fat Kid. Uh, this is a very, very special, important book to me uh, because it's about being a fat kid, which is something that defined pretty much my whole life. And it's a book I always wanted to have when I was a kid that nobody ever wrote. So I figured I should write it for kids now. And I did that. And I'm very proud of it. And it's coming out from Catherine Teagan Books uh, January of next year. And I really, really, really want it uh, to do well. I want it to reach as many kids as it possibly uh, can. Um, also, you know, I like money, so I would like it to sell. So I'd make money. But in addition to making the money... I really do believe in this, and I want to get it out there. So if you can help me spread the word about that, I would really, really appreciate it. Also, pre-orders uh, would very much be welcomed, especially since we're going to experience massive supply issues with books uh, coming up here. So pre-orders are more yeah. important than ever. So that's coming out January of next year. Please uh, let people know about the Supervillains Guide to Being a Fat Kid. Please pre-order it. You can go to my website, matt-wallace.com, to find out more. Uh, you all know I'm on Twitter, Matt F. and Wallace. I'm always talking about it. I have pinned tweets. Uh, please help me get the word out about this book. I would really appreciate it. It's a really, really big deal uh, to me. And again, if you're listening to this and you're uh, tight for cash, remember that if you spreading the word helps also getting the book out oh, of the yeah. library, telling the librarian that you want this book even before it comes out. That's a huge, huge thing. You think you're not doing you're not helping out the author because the author doesn't get much money. But building an audience is also important. And librarians are super, super powerful. And they, they want to, you know. Librarians are the ones who decide whether they're going to have one copy of the book or 15. 
So and the thing is, yeah. uh, sorry, just to interject more. Like, totally agree with your point. The thing is, especially with middle grade books like this one, with books for kids, libraries and librarians are super, super important. Uh, whether it's school libraries or local libraries, yeah. so it particularly helps middle grade books uh, when you when you get libraries involved. So I absolutely wholeheartedly second everything Merger said about that. Yeah. And um, I am, you can find out more about this show, my other show, my books at Merverse.com. And I want to plug my new adventure, Godmaker. Um, if you, it's, the first two episodes are free. So you can download the Zombies Run app and just listen to the episodes. You'll just hear a plot point and then you can put a song in there. And then if you just want to listen, if you want to run or walk, you can experience it that way too. It's all free until the third episode. So to get that and all of the other adventures Zombies Run offers, it's there are a lot. There's like historical adventures, science fiction, there's romance, there's queer romance, there's uh it's his I said historical, science fiction, fantasy, horror. I mean, they have so many different adventures now, and I really love the direction they're going. But all you need to do is buy the VIP Zombies Run membership, which gets you all of that. So um, I, I have would would love it if you guys checked it out. Um, you know, I, it was work for hire. I'm not going to get any more money, but I would just love to hear if people like this story because it's a story that I've been wanting to tell for a long time. And I'm I'm telling it in a medium that is uh, not as widespread as the other ones I've done, but I may catch a lot of new readers too this way. So we'll see. Um, anyway, if you like walking or running and you like stories in your ears, then check it out. It's the, the, you find it on the Zombies Run app and then look for Godmaker, which is my dark fantasy about a late little old lady who carves household gods, little little household gods out of wood. Or bone, maybe. Like you do. Like you do. And uh, you can find that at... Uh, if you just search for the Zombies Run app, I don't have the URL, but I will do. I will put it in the show notes. And we will be live on Twitch next week at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, anything else to add, Matt? Just uh, nice uh, talking to everybody. Thanks for attending. We yes. appreciate y'all. Yes, very much appreciate y'all. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, we appreciate you showing up here. We appreciate you listening later, spreading the word. The dogs appreciate you all. The dogs appreciate you. you Very much. Yes. So thanks a lot, everybody. Take care, Matt. See you next week. You can support us at patreon.com slash mighty myrrh. Ditch diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com.